Good evening, Sports Zodians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Aglioloro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. We're recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network, and of course, we are rebroadcast, redistributed through all our various podcasting outlets. So we thank you for joining us, no matter how you join us, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Bullhorn. Always thank you guys for joining us. Rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things. And we got a good show for you tonight, folks. We'll be joined by Dave Hastings. I would imagine we're getting joined by Larry Schmelrose and or Eric Pfeiffer tonight. Just became a father for the second time, so congratulations to him. Like I said, he may or may not come. If he doesn't come, obviously we'll under we will understand here. But um, we got a good show for you tonight. Like I said, we got a lot to talk about tonight, folks. We got NBA Finals about to start on Thursday. It is official. It is the Denver Nuggets taking on the Miami Heat, who uh, narrowly avoided being the first team in NBA history to blow a three-games-to-nothing lead in a best-of-seven series. The Boston Celtics did wind up taking the Miami Heat to a game seven, but the Heat were able to come out on top. It is, it's crazy to me because, and we'll get into this with Dave when he gets here in a little bit. Um, it's crazy because you would think you win those three games to get the series all tied up. I know, and it was it was at home for Boston. Now that I think about it, Miami had to win the series on the road. It was in Boston. They had everything lined up. Uh, perfectly to complete the second miraculous comeback in Boston sports history. Well, actually three, excuse me. The third miraculous comeback in Boston sports history. How can I forget 28 to three? Um, But they didn't do it. Jimmy Butler and the heat neutralized both Tatum and Brown. Um, And there you have it, man. Miami goes on. They're taking on the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets will be the favorites in this series, you would imagine. Um, so we'll get into that. And we also have our Stanley Cup final set uh, in hockey. The Florida Panthers swept the Carolina Hurricanes. So the Panthers will be taking on the Las Vegas Golden Knights, who got up to a 3-0 lead. Over the Dallas Stars, Dallas Stars didn't make it close. They won the next two games. Uh, But then the Golden Knights uh, won 6-0 in in Dallas. So that's decisive. So it is the Las Vegas Golden Knights taking on the Carolina Panthers. That will start on Saturday. Um, not too much football to talk about tonight here. I know there is one thing I want to bring up with Dave in a little while in regards to basketball when he's able to come on um, about the comments of uh, Scottie Pippen 
um, saying that Michael Jordan was a horrible basketball player. Um, and, you know, we'll get into it there. But after the last dance didn't exactly put Scottie Pippen in glowing light, you kind of wondered when there was going to be a response. And I guess this is it. So I, I we will be talking about that later, I am sure. Until at least Dave gets here, we're going to talk a little Met baseball. If you subscribe to this um, podcast feed, uh, me and Cousin David did a show on Monday night. We talked uh, Mets baseball. We talked some Yankees baseball. We talked a little pro wrestling. Go watch Dark Side of the Ring, that first episode on Chris Candido and Tammy Lee Stitch. Uh, really good episode. Really good episode. Very emotional episode. They, it, the make or break for me with these documentaries when they do it on people who have passed you, you are not even people that have passed just subjects from the past. You got to be able to pull people from their lives for this. Like, because some of the A&E um, biography series on the WWE guys, they um, they've kind of leaned into bringing on either wrestlers who were not in the business when the people they were talking about were in the business, so there were fans watching them, or podcasters, or I don't even want to say radio or TV show hosts, because more and more frequently, it is guys who just kind of made their name off of podcasting, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the, the credibility isn't there, and you just kind of get the feeling they're only there because they would say things that um, WWE wanted them to say rather than things they actually believe in. And this lineup that they brought out to talk about Chris Candido and uh, and Tammy, better known as Sonny, Skipping Sonny from the uh, mid-'90s WWE. Um, you had Jim Cornette, who gave them both their first big break in professional wrestling, uh, bringing them into Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, Tom Pritchard, who was tag team partner, as they had Chris Candido's brother, uh, mother, just... Uh, a lot of people who could give you kind of inside knowledge of what was going on here and really tell the story as opposed to people who just kind of heard about it over the years. So very well done job uh, by the dark side of the ring guys is always there. And now until Dave gets here, we'll talk about some Mets baseball very briefly here. Cause like I said, we did talk about it on Monday uh, what I will say is um, the way the Philly series is going so far, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, he, Buck is still holding back on playing the young guys, but I, I still believe there's a strategy behind it, and I still find it very hard to believe that he's going to keep doing this. Once we get past June and into July, I really feel like this month is the end of it. But I also think that, the kids themselves have to be able to perform at a high level. And Alvarez has teared the cover off the ball the last month. We know this, especially the last few weeks. He's really been turning on. Beatty started off hot. I think he went 10 for his first 27. And he's only hitting about 212, 215 since. He, he has a decent amount of RBIs, decent amount of runs scored. But overall... If they give him a day or two off every here and there, you know, I know everybody was in an uproar when he had, when they, uh, they sat him two games in a row 
And um, there was an off day in the middle there. So they give him three days off, basically. I'm sorry. We know at this point, we know Beatty is the everyday third baseman. But we also know that you have other guys on the roster who can play third base. And Beatty is doing okay. But I don't think he's really grabbed the bull by the horns the way Alvarez has over the last couple of weeks. Alvarez didn't start tonight against Philadelphia. Um, I mean, Tom, Tomas Nito's got to play at some point. Again, it is a catcher. So they're not going to play every day. Let's not make this one a bigger deal than it really is. Alvarez has taken – he's the everyday catcher at this point. I, I Narvias, when he comes back, I do think there's a chance they carry three catchers and cut Vogel back. I really do. He got two walks tonight, and he does have two runs scored. But once again, he's not swinging at anything, really. So, I mean, there's always a place on a guy who's good for getting a walk. But, I mean, it's it's not starting three or four times a week. So that's why, again, I say I think he's getting the last, um, his last chance. Vientos really has not gotten that much playing time. He did wind up playing – I think I, – I, and Buck, I think Buck said that he was going to play Vientos three games in a row after Vogelbach played three games in a row. As far as I know, I don't think he made it to that third game. I think he got two games in a row. He didn't get the third game in a row. I'm pretty sure tonight was going to be the third game in a row if he played. But Vientos also, a small smaller sample size than the other two, he has not torn the cover off the ball Kind of like Alvarez didn't really tear the cover off the ball the last couple weeks. Again, sporadic playing time. All right, fine. But this is kind of a vicious cycle where, and I get why the Mets are doing it. Don't put too much on the kids. Give them time to kind of take a blow every now and then and learn by watching and, you know, talking to the teammates and getting the speed of the game and making the adjustments you need to make. Um, So I don't hate the fact that they're not playing them every day. But it is one of those things. I like J.D. Davis and Dom Smith. Uh, it happened to them last year where they were being platooned and they weren't hitting a lot. But a lot of people felt that the reason they weren't hitting a lot because they weren't playing a lot. But the Mets weren't going to play them a lot because they weren't hitting a lot. And it just kind of kept going back and forth like that. And J.D. Davis is in San Francisco and Dom Smith um, was non-tendered this offseason. So there you go. Um I think Vientos winds up breaking out of it. I think he just needs a little bit of time. If they're going to play him, I would like to see them play him at least four day, uh, days a week right now. I think we'll get there. It might take a couple weeks to get there. But at this point, I, I will say tonight's uh, lineup, and the Mets are up 4-1 four to, uh, four to one over the Philadelphia Phillies at the moment. Sanga pitched very well last night, the first start he's had all season where he didn't give up a walk. Carrasco pitching very well tonight so far five innings he's only given up one run so we're doing good there but in this lineup that they put together tonight Beatty was Beatty is playing Vientos and Alvarez are not playing okay fine Alvarez again it's a catcher he's not going to play every game so Nito got the start he did just get off the injured list and I do believe this is either his first or second start since he got off the injured list so you got to see what you have there. You have Canna and you have Vogelback playing. And I, I'll throw Marte in this mix because those are four of the veterans right there. You look at this team, you have the four or you have the four guaranteed names that are going to be in there every day. And Nemo, Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo. You have the three kids 
in Beatty, Alvarez, and Vientos. And then you have the five veterans. You have Vogelbach. You have Tommy Pham. You have Mark Hanna in, uh, in the outfield. And you have Tomas Nito behind the plate. And you have Starlin Marte. And the reason why I left Marte to last is because of all five of the veterans that you see on a somewhat regular basis here on this team. I know I'm leaving somebody out, but that's okay. Um, with the five veterans that you see just about every day, Marte is the only one who, in my opinion, should be playing every day. Maybe you give him a blow every here and there. All right, fine. But between the remaining four uh, veterans, Vogelbach, Pham, Canna, and Nito, you, you can no longer be playing three of these guys the same day. You can no longer be doing that. I get that maybe you don't want to play the three kids in the lineup every game. You should be playing at least two of the kids every day as opposed to three of the veterans every day. That's that's just my opinion there. But that's what we got there. Um, and like I said, um, the rotation, the last couple games have actually been better. So good to see. We will see if that continues. But I'm, I'm trying, trying to figure out who it was I forgot here. Because uh, I know there's one more player on this team that I forgot about. Oh, Eduardo Escobar. Yeah, okay, so there's six veterans. Six veterans. Marte's the guy who should be playing every day. I left Escobar out of the list, and the reason why he does go kind of go by the wayside a little bit here, you're not releasing Eduardo Escobar. Eduardo Escobar ha has a spot on this team. The reason why you don't think about him towards the starting lineup is because you don't need to think of him as a starting lineup guy anymore. He's a guy who can be – his defense was never the best, but he can play second and third base uh, reasonably well. He is a bat off the bench. Um, he seems to have prospered in this role the last month or so uh, since they gave the everyday third base job to Beatty. In small doses, he seems to be able to concentrate everything into it, and you get the best of him as opposed to playing him every day, and he gets a little overexposed there. So that's been nice to see. He ain't a chopping block in my eyes, and he's not someone you think about in, in the starting lineup, again, you don't need But he can play against lefties because he hits better as a righty anyway. Anyway, with that, he is here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Hastings is with us tonight. Dave, how you doing? Uh, just fucking ducky, my friend. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you now, yeah. Okay, because I was supposed to be where I'm heading to 15 minutes ago, so everything is behind. And, uh, yeah, so... I got about a 20 oh. minute ride. Ahead. Yeah, I got about a 20 minute ride ahead of me. So my hope is that Fife and Schmelrose can join you, so I can hop off, get inside, and then hop back in. So we'll see how everything works out, timing wise. But I'm here. <laughs> it's Wednesday. It's not Tuesday. And off we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Off we go. Absolutely there. Yeah, we'll get we'll get back to cons consistency week to week. At some point, I'm sure. But it was necessary this week, so that's what we go with. But now that you are here, uh, let's talk a little basketball, my friend, here, because we have our finals matchup set up. It is going to start on Thursday. It is the Denver Nuggets taking on the Miami Heat. 
When we talked last week, they were up three games to nothing. It was a long week, but it was a week that did see them close out the series. Boston takes it to a game seven in Boston, having seemingly everything lined up to be the third miraculous Boston-led comeback in sports history was not to be. What were your thoughts about the ending to the uh, Celtics uh, Heat series? Well, I mean, Boston did an unbelievable job to force a game seven. Their win um, in game six was probably the craziest ending to a conference finals game I've ever seen. Um, I mean, I've seen buzzard beaters. I've seen block shots to like, I mean, you could go through the gambit of the things that have been seen um, in playoff games to win games, to push a game seven, so on and so forth. Um, but to have, the guy that inbounds the ball for what was meant to be the final shot of the game somehow find his way to get the offensive rebound and tip it in cleanly as time expired to win the game and force game seven was just insane. Um, you felt like all the momentum was on Boston's side, yet there is just something – I I don't think he's earned, you know, the ability to be compared to the greats of all time in the game. But there is something that Jimmy Butler has in him that just makes you say to yourself, they're not out of it. They can still win this. Uh, yeah. And everything was on Boston's side. Like you said, the momentum won three games in a row going back home for game seven. Um, and the saddest part was that Boston couldn't hit this broad side of a barn um, <laughs> in game seven. Both teams looked exhausted, but Miami was able to find that second gear um, and pull out to, I believe it was a 14-point uh, win in Game 7 in Boston on the road. Um, Jimmy Butler, um, the role players on that team, and I like what Jimmy Butler said. He's like, you guys might call them role players, but I call them, you know, teammates. Mm. Um, and he is, without a doubt, the leader of that team. He's the guy everybody looks to. He's the guy everybody, you know, even if he's not scoring, they, it, it, there's something about the mentality that he gives that team. Um, Eric Spolstra is a head coach. Um, in a third of his seasons as a head coach, he's made the NBA Finals. Um, I believe in 41% of his playoff appearance uh, in his coaching career, he's made the conference finals. And I found out, uh, I think today or yesterday, that uh, the man's never actually won a coach of the year. Um, mm. So, I mean, that just tells you, you know, like, I don't know if it's a lack of respect. I mean, I... I understand him not winning it during, you know, the LeBron, Wade, Bosch era, just because, I mean, I probably could have coached that team to NBA championships. Um, 
I mean, I'm, that's an over-exaggeration, but you get what I mean, right? Um, yeah. I really I, – I'm sorry to interrupt you. I really thought he won the coach of the year, whatever year it was, where Miami made the playoffs when they were like 10 games under 500 at one point or something. It was like within the last three or four years. You remember the one I'm thinking of? Oh, yeah. But, yeah, he has never won an NBA coach of the year. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and, and his track record tells you that he should have, right? So, um, you know, overall, Boston has, like, Jalen Brown for being second-team All-Pro. We talked about this after the voting came out, and he earned that. Um, and I have to agree with a lot of the analysts I heard talking this week saying that if you're an NBA GM and you give him a max contract, you're making a mistake. Um I do think he's one of the better players in the league, um, but he showed numerous times throughout this playoffs that he can he struggles to step step up in the biggest moments. Um, and if it's not for Jason Tatum carrying that team, they probably wouldn't even have beat Philly in Game Seven when Tatum I think dropped a, like almost a forty point triple double. Um, so I also heard that there are several. Uh, assistant coaches in Boston that are probably going to leave Boston to join, uh, I think it's Adoko, Aduko, Aduko, Aduka. One of those, one of those pronunciations is right. And I, I, I apologize for brutally mispronouncing that, but um, a lot of players on Boston did not want to see him get fired. But if we remember, he got let go of because of, I believe, sexual harassment. Um, no charges were ever filed. Nothing ever became public. So your speculations is as good as mine on that. Yeah, like more accusations in Boston didn't want that tarnishing their reputation. So, um, you know, what I find also extremely crazy is that this was the second year that the Eastern Conference uh, Finals MVP got what was known as the Larry Bird Trophy and the Western Conference Finals MVP got the Magic Johnson Trophy. And it was the Lakers that lost in the Western Conference and the Celtics that lost in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> um, so that there's a little irony for you. But look, overall, Miami earned it. They deserved it. They have now toppled. They took down two of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. The only one they didn't have to play was Philly, who got taken out by Boston in seven games in the second round. Um, they've earned, they're the first eight seed um, since the 1999 New York Knicks to make the NBA Finals. Uh, they are the first NBA uh, play-in team to make the uh, NBA Finals in NBA history, which, I mean, obviously the play-in tournament is pretty new, but still to be the first team to do that. Um, and I will continue to say this over and over again. I remember when Chicago was up by five with three minutes left to go, and they've been home since then. So, yeah. yeah. When it comes down to wrapping up the Eastern Conference Finals, because, I mean, the Western Conference Finals has been over for, what, like nine days? Um, yeah. We, we don't need to go back to that. We've already talked about that. Um, but, yeah, when it comes down to wrapping up the Eastern Conference Finals, like Miami probably should have put this series away. I think it should have probably ended in game six, which if we I remember correctly last Tuesday, I did say that it, they would win it in game six in Miami. Um, but – 
Jimmy Butler gets the last lap once again and gets to go into Boston and, and send that team home after what he's dealt with with that team last year. So um, happy for him. Um, uh, he trademarked the nickname Hemi Buckets. Um, so, you know, not only is the guy really good at basketball, but he's a hell of a businessman as well. Okay, maybe I'm the idiot here. Why Hemi Buckets rather than Jimmy Buckets? Because he's him. He's that guy. Ah, ah. I got you. Like I said, I'm the idiot on that one. That's fine. No, Mike, if it makes you feel better, I didn't get it either until somebody else explained it. So you're not alone. Okay. I feel better. Yeah. yeah I mean, if we were maybe in our 20s, we'd look like idiots, but we're not. So <laughs> I, I'm cool with not knowing what the hell that meant until somebody told me what it meant. Yeah, I'm officially the old man now, so I got no problem with that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, and I'll tell you this. You brought up those statistics there. Um, the the uh, Celtics would have been the first team in NBA history to come um, all the way back from a 3-0 deficit. But instead, the team that leads 3-0 is now uh, undefeated. I believe it is 151-0 in clinching out a best-of-seven series after they were up three games nothing. So that's the stat I heard. And then I'm pissed at myself for not remembering this because I feel like they said it on the radio yesterday. Pat Riley-led teams in whatever iteration, whether as a player, assistant coach, head coach, executive now, apparently teams with him associated with them have appeared in at least 25% of all NBA finals since his first one in 1972. Yeah, I believe I believe it's uh, I do believe it's around twenty five percent since the NBA ABA merger happened back in like nineteen seventy. That's, that's what it was. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, which is which is just crazy. I mean, mm -hmm. he he won't match you know Phil Jackson as a coach when it comes down to rings, but when it comes down to his ability for longevity and impact on the NBA game. You know, we, we always talk about Jordan and Kobe and LeBron and Wilt and Kareem and Bill Russell, but Pat Riley's done everything necessary to have his name put up there. It's just as a player, he just he wasn't, you know, the most amazing guy on the court, but he was good. He was consistent and he played and he played winning basketball. And when it's all said and done. I'm sure there are a lot of great players out there that would tell you they trade in accolades for more championships, and he doesn't have to do that. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And I do believe, and I just saw that, I think this would be his ninth championship if the Heat were able to pull this off against the Denver Nuggets and be able to do this. And that'll kind of segue us to talking about the actual finals matchup because it's interesting to see how these two teams match up, how they were built, both of them kind of the same way. Very against the grain in today's NBA where, I mean, we saw the Nets do it where they had all these young players, young talent on the team that they basically traded away um, either for cap space for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant or in the actual trade for James Harden, which of course led to Ben Simmons. These teams were able to identify the guy they wanted to build around and then make trades. They did wind up trading away young talent, at least the Nuggets did, 
but they were able to do it in a way where all the puzzle pieces wound up fitting kind of like what the heat have done, even though they haven't exactly done it. I wouldn't say through trades, just good, um, being good skill and being able to identify the talent, no matter where it comes from. Jimmy Butler, late round pick. I think I heard a stat. I, I, Maybe you know the five guys they were, but I think they have five guys on their team who are undrafted free agents who they signed. So these guys are good. Uh, and I, huh? Six guys that are undrafted. Two of them are starting. There you go. Who are the two again that are uh, starting? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're putting me on the spot here. I should know this. I really should because he finished the one guy finished second in the Eastern Conference Finals MVP voting. Um, and he oh, came um, Wait, you know what the worst part is? I don't even know what college he came out of University of California, Santa Barbara. But I oh, is that not... Gabe Vincent? Ow, oh, that's guys... not even the guy I was thinking of. Okay. Gabe Vincent and one other guy, I can't remember him. Uh, Gabe Vincent last year didn't even play in the conference finals. He was a coach's decision not to play. And he fin- he had four votes to Jimmy Butler's five votes for the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. <laughs> like, wow. you're completely spot on. Like, they, they, they did an amazing job of finding the pieces they needed to put in place. And also keep in mind, right, Tyler Hero has been out all playoffs. Their second best scorer hasn't played a minute the entire playoffs. They said the only chance he even had to play – was if they made the NBA Finals. And even now, they're still not sure if he'll be able to play. Um, so, like, what they have done, and again, it, it, a lot of credit has to go to Spolstra, um, obviously Pat Riley, um, but what they've been able to do is has been nothing short of amazing. Um, and like you said, trying to segue ourselves into the Finals, Called them last last week. I called them like the NCAA tournament. Like this, they're like a Cinderella story, right? Yeah. Well, no Cinderella story ever went on to win the NCAA tournament, and I hate to say it, but I don't think Miami is going to be able to beat Denver. Now they had they were given a three percent chance to beat Boston before that series started. Here we are. I think their percentage chances might be a little higher just because they earned some respect with what they were able to do to Boston. But overall, oh, my God. Um, sorry, I almost just got sideswiped by some asshole doing 90 to 50. Uh, anyway, um, I think their Cinderella story does come to an end. Uh, they just match up wise at uh, a who played amazingly against Boston. Um, but at the same time, you have to remember Boston really doesn't have a guy down low for him to have that he really had to match up with night in and night out. Um, Jokic is going to have the advantage in that matchup, not only skill wise, but physicality wise. Um, he's going to be able to kind of push, be able to box him in and box him out, push him around take them to the outside, shoot over them. So that's going to be a really rough matchup uh, for Adebayo. And then just overall matchup-wise, Denver just seems bigger, faster, and stronger. And, you know, 
usually I think we all would agree when it comes down to professional sports, when you're bigger, faster, and stronger, you're usually going to be the, the team that wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but I also think the difference is, I mean, everything you just said, I wholeheartedly agree with, but I think between Jokic and Butler, you're right. Joker, Joker uh, presents a player that the Heat are just ill-equipped to be able to take on. But I think Butler, I know he can be an offensive force. So I feel like if I say it like Jokic is the the – I mean, he is the more consistent offensive force. I think he's the guy who can take over the game offensively. We've seen Butler be able to do that. But I just think his value has always been how he's able to galvanize the rest of the team and make his teammates better. I don't know if being able to do that this time around is going to work out against the team that's bringing Nikola Jokic there. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. And again, right? Like I'm like we're sitting here, and like everybody and their mom is going to pick Denver to win. You'll have some outliers out there. Oh no, Miami's going to be able to win this. They, you know, whatever. I think the only game Miami actually has a amazing chance to win and should be able to win is Game One. Um, they're going to be riding high. They've been playing ball consistently this entire time. Meanwhile, you know. Again, Denver hasn't played in I think like nine days, so yeah, I think that could have an impact and maybe swing game one in Miami's favor. Which you know, getting splitting the first two of, of a series where you're on the road, that's all you want anyway. So I mean, it all remains to be seen, right? Like, there's really no way to freaking tell, but it's hard to sit here and put money on on Miami to win this series. Hmm. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because that was something I, I wanted to bring up here. Momentum is big. We've talked about it before. We talked about how the Celtics had it coming into Game 7. But now the Heat are coming off having played the entire week, basically. Everybody gets a couple days off now. They went on Monday, so they have three days off rest. But because they've played the whole time, the adrenaline's charged and everything. They were able to stave off one of the biggest um, collapse, what would have been one of the biggest collapses in history. Denver's been sitting on the bench. I, statistically wise, I can't remember, but we saw in baseball last year, sitting in the team that had momentum wound up being the ones that were able to withstand the postseason, everything, especially in the national league where you saw what happened with the Mets Braves wind up going down in the first round. Same with the Dodgers all that stuff. How much of a factor do you think that's going to wind up being? I mean, I, I think in the first game it's going to be a factor, but I think that once Denver gets their sea legs under them, that, you know, and Jamal Murray and, and, and Jokic start shooting their shots and, and getting into a rhythm, that's when I think you just see it become too much for Miami. Because that's the thing. You got to keep in mind, right? Like, Sports in general are what? A law of averages, right? Like, I mean, mm. I know you know this. I mean, especially as a baseball fan, like, when you play 162 games in a season, the best team, you know, the cream rises to the top, right? Like, and I think that's what we're going to end up seeing happen um, is just – it's just going to take a minute. And before you know it, you're going to see the better team pull away, and that better team, in my eyes, is without a doubt Denver. 
Mm. Miami was the lowest points per game team in not the playoffs in the league this year. They averaged the least amount of points per game in the entire league. That's what crazy. They've been able to do that you got to figure at some point that's going to balance out a little bit more. True. I didn't even know that they had the lowest amount of points scored in the league this season. That makes what they've done thus far in the playoffs that much more impressive. So, that's crazy. All right. Okay. So, I think that covers what's going on in terms of the NBA Finals. But there was one thing I wanted to bring up to you, sir. And originally, I was going to start off with this. But then I realized that it didn't happen as many times as I thought it did originally. I was looking at the same thing. So we all saw the last dance, and we saw that Scottie Pippen was not exactly painted in a glowing light on that show uh, by Michael Jordan. Uh, I think Phil Jackson tried to do a little damage control with his comments, but overall, uh, Jordan was Jordan was a little tough on his former wingmen there. And we all, I know I was curious to see when we were going to hear Pippen's reaction from that. And we inadvertently did late last week. It was on a podcast run by uh, former teammate to Jordan and Pippen, Stacey King, called Give Me the Hot Sauce. And the clip I saw, the original clip, and then he kind of expanded on a little further there. The quote that I have here, our team, our game is a team game. And one player can't do it. And the, the the conversation started off about, is LeBron James the greatest player of all time? And he was talking about points scored and how he's out in front of everybody. So he says that, and then he segues, quote, I've seen Michael Jordan play before I came to play with the Bulls. You guys have seen him play. He was a horrible player. He was horrible to play with. It was all one-on-one, shooting bad shots. And all of a sudden, we become a team and we start winning. Everybody forgot who he was. And then he continues, quote, he was a player that really winning wasn't at the top of his category. It was scoring. He was going after scoring titles, unquote. So I'm sure you had to have seen this at some point over the last few days. And I'm just curious because big Bulls fan, obviously, you've been a Bulls fan your entire life. Since the Jordan Pippen days, you saw the last dance. Now you see this. What what were you thinking when you saw that? I mean, considering Jordan won uh, rookie of the year, averaged over 30 <laughs> points per game, um, also averaged over five assists per game, five rebounds per game, um, was a all defense, uh, all NBA player. Um, I mean, basically, it it just sounds like more Pippen jealousy more than anything else, um, which seems to be kind of his M.O. It, it, like, he goes back and forth. But, like, you look at his Hall of Fame speech, and he talks about how important Michael was, and, and he wouldn't be standing there if it wasn't for Michael Jordan and all these different things. And then he's saying this, like, I don't know if it's for clickbait or what, but I mean, to me, it's just a whole load of nonsense. Hmm. It was surprising to see. I don't think there's anyone 
who would think of Michael Jordan as a horrible player. And I don't even think he really believes that. And, you know, you listed all the things he did before Pippen came. Um, what was the year he had whatever leg injury it was and missed the last half of the season and had to negotiate with Jerry Reinsdorf to be allowed to play more than like 18 minutes a game or whatever the hell it was. He had like 60 points in a playoff game against the Celtics. I believe that was his second year in the league. Yeah, he he still holds the record for most points scored by a road player in, uh, in Boston Garden. Mm-hmm. I think, as we all know, the talent level on the Bulls before Pippen and Horace Grant got there was pretty, uh, pretty abysmal there. And Phil Jackson did a lot with that team to make him a team. He did score a lot of points. He did. He, there was ISO. The idea that he he just didn't feel like he could lean on his teammates that time. So well, and I think it, right, he, he basically just was like, you guys aren't good enough. So I will do everything I can to carry this team as far as I can carry him. Yeah. Like, and, that's really yeah. all it boiled down to. Yeah. And if you look at the dynasty teams, you got John Paxson shooting big shots. You got BJ Armstrong shooting big shots. You got Steve Kerr game winning shots. Same with the, uh, the first two. So, I don't know. It just seems like if he was really all about that glory and just shooting bad shots, that probably would have been where we saw it. And he probably wouldn't have won those championships. I would completely agree with that, my friend. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. That'll do it for basketball. So we'll move on there. Um, we'll go to football. There's really only one football thing that happened this week. And I, I got to be honest, Dave, I don't know about you. I, I still don't really know why the hell this happened. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was released by the Arizona Cardinals late last week. And I, I, maybe they save a little money. I, I, it, I think it was like nine or 12 million they save, which is fine and everything, but they get 22 million in dead money uh, for this year. They don't spread the hit out. They could have split it between the next two seasons. They do it all in one shot, which is fine and everything, but you don't really know what you're getting in Kyler Murray for this season. And you just took away his top offensive weapon. And you got nothing to show for it. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Like, I wasn't overwhelmingly surprised just because, I mean, he's been part of trade rumors for, I don't know what, the last three months. So I wasn't, like, completely surprised. I think they wanted to get away from the contract. I also think that they – he wasn't really happy there. Um, so I think it was, you know, kind of a mutual di- uh, disagreement there. And, you know, supposedly, like, I don't know how true this is. Cause, you know, it's not like I have insiders or anything. But, like, supposedly a lot of NFL GMs thinks he, think he's done. And <laughs> what Arizona was paying him, you don't pay a guy that you believe could be done that much money. So... And you can't find anybody that will trade for him because apparently a lot of other NFL owners and GMs thought and think the same thing. So you kind of just get stuck. And what else are you supposed to do when you're stuck like that other than get rid of the guy and let it be what it'll be? I mean, now they're, I mean, their offensive weapons are a joke outside of Hollywood Brown, who 
you know, as a smaller wide receiver, struggles to stay healthy. Kyler Murray, you still don't really know what he is, even though you gave him your as a big contract. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, Arizona's in a rough spot right now, and it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening with them, you know, especially now that, like, the draft is over. You can't use Acrofill holes anymore. Any, whatever's left in free agency isn't anything that, you know, is going to take you from a pretender to a contender. So, yeah, I think that's what they're putting a lot on Kyler Murray and, and, and that coaching staff. <laughs> and hoping that they can put something together to make them a competitive team. And, but in all honesty, I mean, I, I would expect the Rams to be better than they were last year. They had a lot of injury issues, um, but they did get rid of Jalen Ramsey. Um, Seattle, I, I think their record, what they were last year is better than they actually are. So that'll be interesting. And yeah. Mm. Well, here's my thing. I guess surprise might be the wrong word, but I, the reason I said surprise was I didn't think they would just outright release him. Like, I get that he was on the trading block for, like you said, three months. The time to do something like that, to me, is even if you don't, like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, like, yeah, you gave up a lot to get Hopkins originally, you gave him a big contract with a lot of money and you probably aren't going to feel good about, you know, just getting a couple fourth round picks or something for him. But I, I don't know. To me, I would rather walk away with that than just release him. And again, not really get anything for him. You brought up what is left in terms of free agency at wide receiver. There's really nothing. And, and the, to me, the craziest thing about this is you talked about GMs who think he's done and everything. I've read reports that apparently he still thinks he's going to get paid uh, for another contract. I think he looked at what Odell did and it was just like, okay, you're giving him 15 million. What are you giving me? Yeah. Yeah. I don't I mean, get that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what he thinks he's going to get paid, but I, I mean, I, uh, I mean, he's going to be 31 next week. So what do you expect out of a 31-year-old? Like, mm. I, I don't know, you know? And I, I think it's it's crazy to think about. I, I think part of it's like, obviously, with us getting older, right? Like, actually watching these guys full full career. And realizing that, like, you know, another great player, um, like, is coming to the end of his career. Because let's be honest, DeAndre Hopkins was arguably the best wide receiver in the league just a couple years ago. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Let what me throw- and Watson oh. were able to do together was just crazy. Yeah. Let me throw something at you real quick, because a little conspiracy theory uh, – if I could steal the phrase from a certain individual, my tinfoil hat here theory. Okay, we haven't really talked about the suspensions that have come down on players and people, staffers who were fired from teams uh, because of some gambling investigation that happened about a month ago. But apparently that gambling investigation is ongoing. And I remember seeing something a couple weeks ago 
that there could be other suspension for guys on other teams going. I'm just wondering if Hopkins might be caught up in that. I mean, there's the chance of it, right? Like, there's really no way to know. And, I mean, like, look, it's funny, too, right? Because sitting here, do I think he's towards the tail end of his career? Hell yeah. But if you told me Dallas was going to go sign him, give him a a one-year deal, give him, like, you know, eight, nine million guaranteed, and then make the rest of it and set and late him, you know, hey, 1,000 yards, you get an extra million, you know, this many touchdowns, you get this. You know, we win playoff games, you get that. Like, doing something like that where it could, he could make upwards of 20, I would have no problem with Dallas doing that. I would do that yesterday. Yeah, yep. you know what I mean? So, it's like, they could say he's possibly done. They could say his career is over. But how the hell do you know? No. And I'm with you. I don't think he's done yet either. I know he's getting up there, and I also know, and you know this, wide receivers, for some reason, after they get like 32, 33, that seems to be kind of the cutoff point for them, which is unfortunate. But I just, I think he's got at least one really good season left in him. And I'm not going to lie. I did kind of, when I heard this, I was just like, oh, Cowboys don't have to give up anything for him now. Maybe. I'd be fine with that because all the talk, like everybody wants me to go to Baltimore for some reason. No, no, no. We don't need to help the Ravens. You got Odell Beckham. Fine. Go away. You got the, you got the wide receiver in the first round. That's fine. Brandon cooks is like fine and everything, but I look at that wide receiver list. I see uh CD lamb. I see Brandon cooks. I see Michael Gallup. And I just, I can't help but think that Deandre Hopkins name would look so good right in front of those three. I mean, I think CD would still be your one. Um, but I, You put I'm him in the slot, it. though. Put him in the slot. Put him everywhere. The okay. guy's really, he really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to cut you off, Dave. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, he's really good. Put him mm-hmm. everywhere. Put him anywhere. I'm yeah. all right. I'm okay with it too. I think I think at least at first when you put the two of them out there, I think Hopkins would still be the one you would look at as the number one. I still want to see a little bit more out of Lamb. Like what he did last year was amazing. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if I'm ready to look at him the way like Des Bryant, Michael Irvin, all those guys. I I don't know if I'm putting him there yet. You know what I mean? And that's what I think of when I think of a number one for the Cowboys. No disrespect to Mr. Lamb. Oh, I won't argue with you on that, my friend. I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying I'm not saying let's give him twenty three million dollars a year, but I I definitely think that you can easily argue that he's their number one wide receiver, even if they brought in DeAndre Hopkins. It would be interesting. I would love for him to come to the Cowboys just so we can keep arguing about this. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that's right. a good argument. That's a good argument to have. Yeah, or or just see just see him go to the Cowboys so that we can go from having Noah Brown be your number two wide receiver <laughs> to having it be a battle between Lamb, Cooks, and Hopkins. That would be fantastic. Yeah, talk about a change in scenery for Dak Prescott. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll spare you baseball for tonight. At some point. I want to know 
do you know anything about the situation where the Oakland A's are going to be leaving Oakland and headed to Las Vegas by in, I think it's, it's at some point in the next five years. Have you heard anything about this? Um, I think I heard something about it, but it was more like in like a scroll through Twitter, like, oh, MO, El, Oakland owner, Oakland A's owner believe there can be baseball in Vegas within the next five years. So yeah, I didn't that... know if that was a generality where like it just came up in like owners meetings or if it was like him talking about moving the team from Oakland to uh, Vegas. Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but I think at this point it is official that that's going to be happening. I think we have a, I can't remember exactly. It's either three to five years before it actually happens, but I think everything's committed to it. So I'm going to give you the short version of the story here as best I can. You might be familiar with Oakland A's. They're the money ball team. They're the team that pioneered the analytics because their owner was too cheap to spend money on the players uh, in free agency to begin with. It was kind of the basis for the movie Moneyball, based on the Oakland A's of the early 2000s with Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean. And that system worked for a very long time. They were a team like Tampa Bay is right now, where even if they don't spend a lot of money because they don't have a lot of money to spend, what they do spend, they spend in player development and research and, re and all this stuff. And they always wind up putting a competitive team on the field. Well, Oakland was like that till about, I'd say about five to 10 years ago, consistently being in the playoffs, even though they didn't spend a lot of money. The stadium, they've always, they've been going back and forth with the city of Oakland about the conditions in the stadium and trying to get them to pay for either renovations or a new stadium. I'd say for the better part of the last 20 years. So this has been a long running thing, theme. The last five years, the moves that Oakland has made has not worked out for them. Attendance has cratered. They're the worst team in baseball this year by far, even though they did take two out of three from Atlanta the last couple of days, which is just fucking fantastic. Dude, even the Mets didn't do that. Even we didn't do that. So that that's just funny as hell. But um, they're terrible, and they're so bad that everybody – has finally gotten on board. And Bud Selig, or not Bud Selig, fucking Rob Manfred, has, he can't come out and say it, but he's in favor of making money. So he's been in favor of a move to Los Angeles over the last couple of years or a move anywhere out of Oakland, basically. So everybody's agreed to this now. And on, on the one hand, I think it's great to have another team that you put them in a position to be competitive. My problem with this is it's the same ownership group who kind of cratered their team because they didn't want to spend any money on them. And now they're being rewarded by a brand new stadium and a, a fan base ready to embrace a baseball team. And they're abandoning the, the city that's been their home for 60 years. And there are diehard Oakland A's fans out there. So I think I, yeah, on the one hand, I think it's good for baseball. On the other hand, I really think it sucks for the city of Oakland and the owner's kind of a scumbag. What do you say? Yeah, you got, you got to find it funny that 20 years ago, it was blasphemy to think about putting a sports team in Vegas. Yeah. And now you have a hockey team, a football team, and it sounds like in the next couple of years, a baseball team. Yeah. Just 15 years ago, Tony Romo got uh, yelled at by the NFL because he was going to host a fantasy 
football conference in Vegas and got had to cancel that. Mm-hmm. And now here we are, sports gambling's legal and, you know, online sports gambling's legal in over 20 states. And mm-hmm. Vegas have three of the four major sports uh, <laughs> located. And apparently once LeBron retires, his goal is to get a team in Vegas as well. Yep. And I'll go you one further. Uh, I, 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 you're forgiven for not knowing this one. Cousin David tells this story a lot better than I do. But in the 70s, Hank Aaron and Mickey Mantle were going to do commercials for a casino in Vegas. And Major League Baseball basically threatened to ban them from baseball if they did that. Yeah, and, and here we fucking are. Turning, yeah. over, turning over in their graves. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But... Outside of that, you hear that you hear this with Oakland. Does it do anything for you? You got any thoughts on that at all? Not nothing more than what I just said. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, there. All right. I guess the only other thing I can say is the poor Oakland fans. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. lose their football team now. They now they're going to lose their baseball team. You just feel for them as well. But yeah, yeah, I, I think that's probably all I have at, at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately. I don't know his name, but the owner of the Oakland A's, he's not the first owner of a professional baseball team to do something like this. There was a whole situation with the former Montreal Expos that actually is what led to them being the Washington Nationals now. And the Miami Marlins, and it's just... The the Marlins were once owned by one of the most crooked owners in all of baseball, Jeffrey Loria, in a very similar situation well i mean there's differences but it's similar in that he didn't really give a shit about the fucking team for anything other than his fucking piggy bag <clears throat> but anyway did you have anything else you wanted to bring up tonight sir um so really only aware of this because my girlfriend is a lacrosse coach for a local high school so um boston college won the women's national championship for lacrosse but the cool part, the cooler part to me was the Notre Dame won their first ever men's national championship in lacrosse, and their head coach has been coaching the program for thirty-five years, and finally got a national championship. And I just wow. thought that was really, really cool to you know to have a program stick by somebody. I don't care what sport it is. To have a program stick by somebody for 35 years and to, to finally see that pay off, um, I, I thought that was really, really cool. So um, just thought that deserved a, a little footnote uh, for the show. Mm. I, I totally agree with you on that one there. I mean, come on. we You can think of the coaches in the sports that we follow that have lasted 20 some odd years. I don't think, I don't think there is a coach of the sports that we follow on this show that has been around for 30 years. And you can count the ones that have been around for 20 or more on one hand. It's like Popovich, Popovich, Belichick, Marvin Lewis. Um, and that's it. That's it. And it ends there. <laughs> yep. That's about it. Yep. All right. Um, I don't really have too much. There's one thing I've been wanting to bring up to you pop culture wise for a while. And I promise I'm going to make this quick because I know we both want to get out of here tonight. Uh, Congratulations to Eric Pfeiffer on the birth of his second child. He will not be joining us tonight, but congratulations from all of us here to Mr. Pfeiffer there um, on the birth 
what was it? Girl, right? It was a girl. Baby girl. Baby girl. Another another uh, hockey player in the future, I am sure. There, but anyway, um, you and me are both looking forward to the Daredevil series that is supposed to be coming to Disney Plus. I think a year from now. They've added a bunch of actors to this. I have to bring up one name to you real quick because he's not just an actor. He's a director and he's directed series that you definitely have seen before. One of them I know you haven't, but Clark Johnson has signed on to um, Daredevil. I don't know what character he's going to play, but I know I heard he's going to direct too. I'm going to pull it up here. He, um, the one I know him for, I know he's done The Shield. He directed episodes of The Wire, and he was a character in the last season, and he was one of my favorite characters in the show. So I'm going to try to find it. He's directed episodes of The Wire, The Shield. Um, let me get it here. NYPD Blue, West Ring, West Wing, The Beat, Third Watch, The Wire, Shield, uh, The Jury, uh, Memphis Beat, which is a show I actually watched with Jason Lee. That wasn't bad. He's directed episodes of Homeland, Walking Dead, um lucas cage they does have experience with marble um just uh, to me a very accomplished director and seeing something like this now we're getting him as an actor and director i'm excited for it i don't know if you've heard of him before that but you hear this what are your thoughts i mean i can't say i knew the name but i know several of the shows that you mentioned and um you you're naming some of the highest grossing drama shows that have ever been around and let's be honest Dare, daredevil if they do it the way it was done with Netflix, which I think is the right way to do it, it was as much of a drama as it was a superhero show. Yep. Uh, and, and to be able to have that a guy with that type of experience uh, being involved with the project, just Marvel continues to give me hope that they're going to do right by this show and the foundation that Netflix uh, laid out. Um, and if they do, then I think they're going to have another, you know, top rated um, show slash movie. Uh, to add to their genre. Mm, yeah. And another name that I, I'm seeing is in this, right? Michael Gandolfini, James Gandolfini's son is going to be in this too. We'll, we'll see. I don't think he's going to have a big role, but he, he, he was decent in that Sopranos prequel they made a few years back. The movie itself was dog shit, but he was, he was decent in it for what he was. All right. Did you have anything else you wanted to bring up here tonight, my friend? Uh, I think I am good, my friend. All right. I think I am too. So we're going to get out of here for tonight. Thank you to everybody for listening to us on the various podcasting outlets, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Bullhorn. Rate, like, share, subscribe, do all the things. And we'll get out of here for tonight. Let's do some final thoughts. Dave Hastings. And like you said, my man, I think the most important part of this entire show is shouting out Eric Pfeiffer and his wife on a ha happy and healthy baby girl being brought into this world. Uh, couldn't be happier for them. And and like you said, we have a future uh, female hockey star. Uh, that just <laughs> so, um, that's probably the most important thing that happened today and, and happy for him and, and his wife and his family. Um, and I am sure he is going to be such a great girl, dad. Um, <laughs> and, and the, the perfect example of, of what, a, what a girl can do to a six foot 
what's he, 6'3", 6'4", 200-something pounds, big beard, big guy, deep voice. And uh, she'll have him wrapped around his finger, playing tea time, wearing dresses, makeup, and the whole nine. I have no doubt about it. So couldn't mm. couldn't be for a better person. And uh, outside of that, until next week. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. You know the image I have in my head right now? This is obviously some years in the future. But if it happens, I hope we get video. The first boy she brings home, I want to see Fife just sitting on his uh, recliner or chair, whatever it is. Just sitting there with a hockey stick and it's got blood on it. It doesn't have to be real blood. It can be corn syrup. We're just going for effect here. And I just want to see him holding the hockey stick the entire time the boyfriend's in the house. Whenever he's in, uh, he doesn't have to say anything. Whenever the boyfriend is in, I I shot. You see him holding the hockey stick and just looking mean. That's all he'd have to do. That or I'm sure from uh, the Bad Boys movie when uh, Martin Lawrence <laughs> greet the kid at the door. Um, I, I just got out of jail last week and I ain't going back. I could see him and Eric Tressler doing that together without a, without hesitation and, and having a great time doing it. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Definitely. Uh, God bless whoever uh, she brings home for the first time. But we'll let we'll let him enjoy her being an infant and a little girl before we make him worry about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Dave Hastings. And I am Mike Aglioloro. Thank you once again, everybody, for listening. We will see you all next week.